The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, See, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Because of them, for they will hand you over. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me. As a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise against his parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, You will not have gone through all towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father? And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Probably some of you were thinking when you heard this reading on Father's Day, brother will betray brother and father his child. That always sounds nice on Father's Day. But actually, uh, there's a lot more to this passage than first meets the eyes because it's important to know the context. The context of the passage, which is found in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10 at the beginning, you have Jesus choosing his 12 apostles and then sending out the 12 apostles. And what they experience when they go out in his name, and you have to look at Luke to complement this passage, Luke's gospel, because they take different tacks at this point. They come back and they are so excited. You know, if you can picture someone telling you something that you're going to go out and do and you're a little fearful when you first go out and then you go out and you say, that was great! You ever done that? I mean, it's really amazing when you have that experience and that's what the apostles experienced. I mean, they weren't long in this faith walking with Jesus. They weren't long in this ministry. And they go out two by two and they say, I wonder what we're getting ourselves into. And then they go out and they see the Holy Spirit working through them. And they say, this is incredible. This is wonderful. And what can happen is you can lose your focus. 
Think about how when people get really, really excited about something, they just, you know, they lose their minds. And they lose their focus. And that's what, what could have happened to the apostles. So what Jesus did when they came back, he wanted to get them refocused. To focus on the priorities, to understand what it is that they experienced in the context of walking with Jesus, in the context of what will come, because even though they've had mainly positive experiences so far, walking with Jesus and doing ministry, it's not always going to be that way. And so he says, let's just do a reality check here. The first thing that you have to keep in mind and remember, don't rejoice just in what you've experienced. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the book of life. There's the primary focus. The fact that the Lord has saved us, for those of us that believe and walk by faith, that when we're saved, that's the focus. And when we do whatever we do, that we go out in his name, and share him with others. That's really what he's trying to say here. Rejoice that your name's written in the book of life. And oh, by the way, what you've experienced is really great. And praise and thank the Lord, and we can celebrate together, but you need to know what's going to happen down the road. That once the gospel starts moving in your heart and life and takes hold and you do ministry more and more, What's going to happen is there's going to be people out there that are not excited about what it is you're doing. And you're going to experience persecution and trials and challenges and struggles. Be realistic about that. That's what he's saying. In fact, he said that in his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. When he's going through, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And then he gets to the end of the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted in my name. When? See, because Jesus was realistic not only about what was going to happen in his life, but what was going to happen in the apostles' lives as they go out in his name and share the gospel because the world doesn't want to hear it. And then he does something else, and he does it several times in his ministry when he's talking about what's coming. He alludes to the end times. And it's really interesting what's been going on. You know, when I'm out in the public, which I do periodically, even in this coronavirus, um, that I do go out in public, and I try to be careful, but not always, I guess. Um, and, and I talk to people, and people have said to me, they've said it through emails, they've said it through phone calls, they've said it in public, do you think we're in the end times? It's an interesting dynamic. Because of all that's going on right now, the coronavirus, which feels in many ways like a plague for many people, the racial unrest, the political unrest, the contention, the riots, the destruction. And of course, as Jesus would say later on in Matthew's gospel, he would say wars and rumors of wars, which we hear constantly in our day. Is this the end times? And Jesus basically says, once again, that's not your focus. That you're always to be ready, you're always to be alert, and you just keep living the priority and trust him. That's really what it's about. We don't know. He said, don't speculate. 
Only the Father knows. When you get into speculation, when you start thinking in those ways, you can get sidetracked. You can get distracted. You can lose your focus. See, it's so easy when something really, really positive happens in your life, losing your focus. And it's really easy when all kinds of destructive manifestations of sin in the world begin to dominate the news, we can lose our focus and we can even become fearful. And he even says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just walk with me. Trust me. That's what he says. Trust me. Because in some cases, you don't know how I'm going to manifest myself in ministry. You don't know when you're called before people what you're going to say, but I'll give you the words. Trust me. Because I have you. And I have this. And your heavenly Father loves you. And so he's trying to get them locked into, focused on their primary priorities. And so he says, a disciple is not above his master. So when you go out and you start experiencing all the things in your life that you're going to experience, and some of it positive and some of it maybe not so positive, what can happen in the distractions is you can begin to say, well, I'm in charge of my life. You know when that begins? When we're two. When we learn to say no. And you know when it really manifests itself is when your kids... When we were teenagers and we begin to mature and we begin to go out into the world and we begin to hang out with our friends and then we have a better idea than our parents do. In fact, our parents are really stupid. You know, so we think we know better. And then we get to college and we're supposed to be there to really, really study, but we find that hanging out with friends and partying and experiencing other things is, is really okay. And we can, we can do our studies too. We can do this. And we lose our focus. And then when we're in early adulthood and we go out into the world, we can lose our focus in other ways. We can lose our focus because we get so caught up in work and success that we don't focus on the Lord. Or we can begin to listen to what the world says and be distracted from our faith because the world is calling us to other things. And that's when we can get into problems. Over and over again in our lives, we begin to say, in one way or another, you know, I really know better. I know better than you. I know better than God. What's best for my life? After all, in our day and age, things are different. And we can even begin to say, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And you know where you need to look just to see that the first time? is the story of Adam and Eve. When Satan says, did God really say? Yes, he really did. And we can lose our focus when we begin to look beyond and say, you know, the world says this and a lot of my friends say this and therefore maybe this is right. The bottom line underneath it all is we've lost our humility before God. We've lost the fact that we say, I need you, Lord. 
I need the Father's love. I need Jesus Christ being my Savior. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. And we lose our focus. And it can happen really, really easily. And sometimes we can even say, well, you know, even if that's what God said, I can get away with it. You know? Or, you know, I've said this before, but I, I just love, God and I have a deal. You ever heard that one? I have. People say, well, you don't understand. God and I have a deal. He understands I'm that way. No, that's not it. He understands everybody's that way. And so we try to do this secret life as if we're going to hide from God. You know what's really interesting? You can go out in public and you can be around really godly people, you know, people that walk with the Lord all the time, and you can hide that secret part of your life, and then you can go out with immoral and ungodly people and you can say, yeah, I kind of go to church. And you can hide that. We can hide whatever we want. We're great at wearing masks. Look at all of you. It's amazing how that can happen. That we think we do things in secret. And we really don't. Because God knows. He knows our hearts. He knows our lives. That's why he knows we need a savior. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. When I drive to church in the morning, it's amazing to me sometimes. Like when I come when we normally have an 8 o'clock service, there's usually nobody on the road. And now that I'm coming here a little later, I see more cars on the road. But you know what I saw in particular today that just amazed me? There were so many people out on their bicycles and walking. And they were either heading to the beach or maybe heading down to the tournament and everything. And it's like, you know what becomes the focus of our lives, particularly when we're on vacation? We want to have fun. We want to have success. Physically, financially. Those are two of the most important aspects that you will hear in our culture over and over again. Have a gym membership. Be active. Be healthy. Be financially sound. So work and exercise. And having fun become the focus of our lives. And we certainly want to look good. So there's Botox and plastic surgery. None of what I've just said is bad, by the way. I'm not saying it's bad. What I am saying is when that becomes your focus, once again, that's one of those distractions. And we can do things in secret and pretend and play this game of, well, I'm I'm having fun and I'm being financially successful, but I'm still spiritual. Everybody's spiritual. The question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your spiritual life? Who are you walking with? Who's the focus of your life? And that's what Jesus is saying as well. You know, you can get away with things. You can do all kinds of things in the world and you can get distracted instead of keeping the main thing the main thing our relationship with the Lord, which will then overflow on our relationships with other people. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, 
If you acknowledge me, then I'll acknowledge you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Once again, he's bringing people back to the basics in a little different way. How do we acknowledge the Lord? Every day we acknowledge him by greeting him in the morning and spending time with him and developing that relationship. Just like any relationship of significance in our lives, that's our focus when we first get up. Spending time with him in his word and in prayer and continuing to develop that relationship and being prepared for the day. That we begin with loving him and then it overflows onto loving others. And we make better decisions about our lives. So we're acknowledging him first thing in the morning. We're acknowledging him on a day of worship. We're acknowledging him by what we do. You know, so many people talk about being good. It's not about being good. It's about working on that relationship that will change us so that we will be good. Being good is the byproduct of focusing on our faith. That's really what we're talking about. You focus on your faith. You focus on your walk. And so we acknowledge him. We acknowledge him by word and by deed. What we say and what we do. We have to guard our hearts and guard our minds and guard our lips. And as we walk with him, he naturally, by his Holy Spirit, does that, which is why Jesus says, you'll be given the words to say when you walk with me, no matter what the trials and temptations and challenges are out there. And we also can not acknowledge him, deny him by what we don't say or what we don't do. Do our lives really reflect that constant walk with the Lord? You know, that's really what what the Lord is looking for with us is that consistent, loving, growing relationship with him. This is not about being a star. This is not about being holier than thou. We are called to holiness, but it's called to walking with him. The basics, day by day, week by week, and you slowly grow in that relationship just like you do in all aspects of your life that you're spending time focusing on. And when he is your primary focus, you will be transformed. That's what he promises. He's basically over and over again in this passage saying, This is what it means to be my disciple. And there's all kinds of other things that will come to you in the world. Experiences, challenges, opportunities. And you can have all of those and you can enjoy life. But don't lose your focus. Because then your life will go down a path that you'll end up denying him. You'll end up buying into the world. And the world wants us to. You know, I was down to the Heritage uh, for a couple hours yesterday. Met some fun people. And, um, and it, was, it was really, really great to just enjoy the golf. And when, if some of you have been down there before, the crowds, the masses of people, particularly on Friday and Saturday, and they're not there. We were a group of about 10 or 12 in uh, Andy and Jim's backyard. And... Um, and we had a lot of fun, actually. But as the golfers were going by, we tried to encourage them a little bit since they weren't hearing a lot of cheers. But I thought back to, I don't know how many of you saw this, the Charles Schwab tournament last week, the first tournament that the pros were back playing golf again. 
And it was fascinating because they interviewed some of the pros and the responses were really fascinating to me because some of the pros said, oh, I really miss the crowds. You know, I mean, that's why we're out here. We're out here to enjoy golf and enjoy the crowds and, and you know, there's such an encouragement and they're cheering us on and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny because Matt Kuchar was one of the guys that went by and we went, Kuch, you know how you do that with Matt Kuchar. And uh, he waved to us and he smiled. I think he thrives on that. I really do. And then you've got other golfers who said, you know, it's really kind of nice playing without all those spectators around because they're so distracting. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That's two different perspectives. And I want to just think about that with you for a second because if you think about it, people can be a distraction or an encouragement in our walk with the Lord in what it is we're trying to do. We can be a distraction or an encouragement in how we live our lives and how we walk our walk. We all need encouragement and cheerleaders. That's why we gather as the church. And for those of you at home, encourage each other in other ways if you're not able to come back yet. Emails, phone calls, especially during this time with the coronavirus and the racial tensions and the riots and the economic upheaval, we can be an encouragement to each other. We need each other. That's the way God designed us. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. We depend on him and we depend on other believers for cheerleading and encouragement. The world does it. If you go out and do something that the world tells you, you should believe or you should do, and it's contrary to the gospel. They cheer you for doing it. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. And we need to draw on the Lord for His Holy Spirit to encourage us and support us. The second thought about the heritage. You know, if you think about the heritage, the word heritage, it talks about passing something along. That we've received something from the past and now we're passing it along to someone else. That's a heritage. A legacy would be another word for it. What heritage have you received in your life? Think about it just for a minute. And I want you to think in particular about the heritage, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the heritage that we received. The heritage of the prophets and the apostles. And Jesus giving his life for us. And he says, he talks about that we are the children that inherit. And Paul talks about that. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Because of his sacrifice on the cross. Because of his gift of the Holy Spirit. That we've received a heritage. A blessing, if you will. What are we doing with it? Are we passing that heritage along to other people? Is that the heritage that we want to leave, the most important one? So many people are trying to accumulate wealth, things, experiences, none of which is evil in and of itself. But that's the heritage that they focus on. The most important heritage that we can give to someone is a heritage of faith, of walking with the Lord, 
no matter what station we have in life, positions, it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, in the eternal scheme of things. What matters is this heritage of faith that we've received and that we're going to pass along to other people, the love that we've received from God and Jesus Christ and the love that we're going to pass along to others, the modeling of our faith, touching lives, that we live for Him by living with Him because we're part of His household. It's a wonderful thought on this final day of the heritage if there's no playoff tomorrow to think about a heritage. It's a wonderful thought to think about on Father's Day for fathers. What heritage are you leaving your children? Is it of a Christian who's given over to Jesus Christ with his heart and his mind and his life? Possibly a husband who loves his wife and nurtures that primary relationship. And then that love that overflows onto the children as a father who loves his children like God the Father loves us. As we think about today, this Father's Day, this heritage, let's think about being his disciple. And the number one priority, that we are a people of salvation, our own, that our names are written in the book of life and for others. And we do it as his disciple by word and deed because our focus is on growing in the knowledge and love of him every day. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift that you've given to us in salvation and that you remind us as you reminded your 12 when they began to walk with you and serve you and reach out in your name, that their first priority was their relationship with you, that their names are written in the book of life. Lord, help us amidst all the challenges and distractions around us, how the world calls to us, how people will say, is this the end times because of the coronavirus and the riots and the wars and rumors of wars? That, Lord, for us, we await your second, second coming with anticipation. That we know you will come again. That, Lord, for some of us, it will be shortly. For others, it may be decades but Lord, help us to be secure in your love and your grace, secure in our salvation that we freely offer to others and leave a heritage, a legacy of faith. Lord, especially this day, bless fathers, that they would be mindful of the gift that they've been given and the gift that they want to pass along as your disciples. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk with you daily, 
help us to be a blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.